Okay, so when we were talking about what we should do in terms of uh, teaching this week, um, we, were, we suggested talking about the character of Thomas in the New Testament. It seemed like there's quite a lot of lessons we can learn from Thomas, and we don't often speak about him, or it seemed like we don't. Um, so that's what we settled on doing. And, and I got into sort of praying and studying and reading about Thomas, but no sooner did I had started that than it suddenly seemed like Thomas had become flavour of the week. And everywhere I looked, everybody else was talking about Thomas as well. So uh, articles I was reading were about Thomas and blogs I was following were about Thomas. Uh, and for those of you who might be using uh, Lectio 365 as a devotional aid, uh, they had a focus on Thomas as well. So if you feel that you know absolutely all there is to learn about Thomas, then I apologise um, if some of this seems like a bit of a repeat. We don't know a great deal about Thomas because he's not mentioned in any detail in most of the Gospels. In fact, apart from just mentioning his name as one of the 12 disciples that Jesus uh, appointed, um, there's not a lot said about him in most of the Gospels. There are just three occasions where Thomas is referred to, all in the Gospel of John. And that's where Thomas features. And I want to highlight some lessons that I think I can learn, I hope we can learn, from those occasions. Because it does seem to me that Thomas, frankly, gets rather a bad rap. If people know anything about Thomas, then what they know is that he's known as Doubting Thomas. And I think that's a bit unfair. I actually think he could better be named as Brave Thomas, or maybe Honest Thomas, perhaps Cautious Thomas. So let's briefly look to see what lessons from Thomas we can apply for ourselves. The first instant is actually found in John chapter 11. Bit of context here. Jesus had narrowly escaped from being stoned to death and had gone across the Jordan where it seems he'd been welcomed and really appreciated in contrast to the Jerusalem area where he'd been. But then he was informed that his friend Lazarus was seriously ill and Jesus decides to leave a safe and really quite encouraging situation and to return. So this is John chapter 11 verse 7. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. In other words, we've got to make use of the opportunities we have. And so he told them plainly, this is verse 14, Lazarus is dead and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go to him. And now we have Thomas. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Well, that's quite a line. Let's go too and die with Jesus. See, I think this is Thomas the Brave. He is prepared to go with Jesus even to a place of very real danger where he could very easily get killed. Now, clearly he wasn't very enthusiastic about the pros prospect, uh, the way he phrases that makes it quite clear that he wasn't that keen. But nonetheless, he chose to go. Bravery in the face of certain danger. 
that is that is something that is quite natural but it's nothing to do with how we feel it's what we choose to do feeling afraid is normal bravery is choosing to embark on something even though we feel afraid and then Thomas chose to accept the risk because Jesus had said come you see maybe we would rather stay in the relatively safe and familiar ground places where we're appreciated where we're familiar where things are going well but then we can find if we're not careful that Jesus has moved on and he's going somewhere else would we rather stay with Jesus or do we just want to stick where where it seems safe and familiar are we going to move on with Jesus grasp the opportunities that lie ahead and of course if Thomas had stayed where he was across the Jordan he'd have missed the whole occasion uh, where Lazarus got raised from the dead we can choose it's my hunch and I don't guess I'm alone that in the months ahead there will be a good many choices that we're faced with and some of them may seem quite a bit scary but if we're convinced that this is where Jesus is leading us then surely that's where we want to go surely that's the best place to be one of my favorite current worship songs has these courageous if rather daunting lines I won't bow down to idols I'll stand strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice because you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation then I'll be crucified with you reading those lyrics I find myself going gulp I don't know whether I can really sing those with integrity but I want to be brave like Thomas and I believe that even though I may not feel brave the Holy Spirit will give us courage when it is needed let's just take a moment to pause there Holy Spirit we ask you to give us all the courage all the bravery that we need to follow Jesus wherever he's leading us then we next encounter Thomas in John chapter 14 here the disciples are alone with Jesus listening to his teaching John 14 Jesus said don't let your hearts be troubled trust in God and trust also in me there's more than enough room in my father's home if this were not so would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you and when everything is ready I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I'm going and now here comes Thomas no we don't know Lord Thomas said we have no idea where you're going so how can we know the way Jesus told him I am the way and the truth and the life no one can come to the father except through me if you had really known me you would know who my father is from now on you do know him 
and have seen him. And it seems to me this is the honest Thomas. Thomas the honest. Because in this, in this section he, he truthfully blurts out what, to be honest, I think all of the disciples probably felt at that moment, but they were just reluctant to say so. You can sense his honest frustration. I don't understand at all. When we don't understand stuff, it's okay to ask. Indeed, it's really vital to ask. Sometimes we hold back because we think it'll make, it, make us look a bit stupid. But Thomas's question to Jesus leads Jesus to utter one of the most profound statements he ever makes in John 14, 6. If we want to truly learn, we have to cultivate a truly honest relationship with Jesus. Cultivate a truly honest relationship with Jesus. And a key step in developing a real and honest relationship with Jesus, it seems to me, involves asking the right questions. Now, I mentioned a minute ago about per our personal times of prayer and using things like Lectio 365 can be a real help. But it is easy sometimes to be quite passive when using those kind of devotional helps. I've personally found it quite helpful in prayer to cultivate a habit of asking the Lord very specific questions. It helps me to focus on what's important and it can often help me to sense what he wants to communicate to me. So here are some example questions that we may want to ask Jesus when we are in prayer spending time with him. Questions like, what is there within me at this time that especially delights you? I start with that one because so often we think that fundamentally God's cross with us, but he loves us and he takes delight in us. Or are there any issues between us at this moment? Because to be truthful, there often are. What is it, Lord, that you want me to understand today? Or which of your promises are most relevant for me now? What are your priorities for me today? How can I be most welcoming and most receptive to your spirit right now? And in what areas are you especially seeking to forge my character right now? How can I cooperate? Those are the sorts of questions that I find it helpful to use and direct to Jesus in prayer. I think it's, it's a good habit to take time to reflect before Jesus on those sorts of questions when we're praying. And when we do so, to give some time, some space to listen for the whispered response that we may sense as he responds to those questions. And then finally, perhaps most famously, we encounter Thomas after Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has appeared to uh, his disciples on the day of the resurrection. And then we get to John ch chapter 20 and we read these verses from verse 4. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe 
unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless anymore. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And if you like, this is like Thomas the cautious, the guarded, the hesitant. This is the bit where Thomas gets a really, really bad rap. Maybe he should have immediately believed what the other disciples had said, what they told him. But can we really blame him for being guarded, perhaps even a bit sceptical? Got to remember, he's been willing to follow Jesus into situations of real personal danger. He's been willing to follow Jesus even when he didn't understand what on earth Jesus was talking about. He's been totally invested in this Rabbi Jesus. But now he's found this leader in whom he had placed so much hope, brutally and publicly executed as a criminal. And just because his friends now claim that they've seen a dead man walking, is it any wonder that he's just a bit sceptical, unwilling to accept second-hand reports, perhaps even a bit angry? Maybe he felt he'd been burned before, trusting that things would somehow all turn out brilliantly, and then they hadn't. Maybe he just felt, as that song goes, that he won't get fooled again. Uh, we've been doing pub quizzes, pub quiz, quiz question, who wrote those lyrics? We won't get fooled again. Okay, so maybe Thomas should, after having seen Lazarus raised, maybe he should have found it a bit less of a struggle to believe. But that had happened before Jesus was murdered. And so tradition has given Thomas a hard time for being cautious in asking for this kind of unmistakable evidence. Yet when Jesus meets him, he totally accepts Thomas's demand for evidence. He shows him his hands and his side, showing him the marks of the wounds. He accepts Thomas's demand for evidence. Some people seem to assume that faith is kind of the opposite of evidence or even contrary to evidence. But that's just not true. Our faith is based on solid evidence. I believe there is compelling evidence for any reasonable person to reach the conclusion that Jesus truly did rise to life again. But evidence for any event in the past can only take you so far. And the faith into which we've been called, into which we're invited, is not merely intellectual conviction. It's, it's more than just mental assent. See, in the end, Thomas doesn't actually seem to follow through with his demand to touch the wound marks in Jesus' hand and, and side. 
Meeting Jesus personally was all the proof he needs in order to declare, my master, my God. As you probably heard me say before, New Testament faith is not just a matter of giving our mental assent to certain truths. It's not less than that. Yes, it includes that, but it's much more. On the basis of that genuine conviction, it is choosing, choosing to bow before Jesus and give him our personal, intense and lifelong allegiance. Like Thomas, we each of us need to come to the point of declaring, my master, my God. So maybe rather than referring to him as doubting Thomas, we should call him fully committed Thomas, all in Thomas. And I think that's perhaps the most crucial lesson we can learn from this disciple. And then there are those final words of Jesus to Thomas, and they've lived with me ever since I was a child. I think it was one of the first times I really felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me personally through Scripture. Jesus says, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And as a child, I remember it really hit me that here was Jesus saying to people just like me, indeed saying to me, that you are blessed. I remember being really encouraged at that moment, understanding that Jesus looked at me, looked ahead to me and said, you're blessed. And he wants each of us to be encouraged. And he speaks the same over each of us as his disciples. You've not seen me physically, he says to us, but you are trusting me. And I declare, I pronounce over you that you are blessed. We are blessed. And so as blessed people, as those who gladly declare that Jesus is our Lord and our God, Let's move back into worship. Julie, would you like to lead us now? Thank you. <laughs> 